welcome to another episode of the Indian Dream Trends, where we explore new markets and ideas that are set to explode in the next few years. For our latest edition of Trends, we are covering the direct-to-consumer or D2C business model. In this business model, you cut out all the middlemen that exist in the traditional supply chain, your wholesaler and retailer primarily. You leverage the internet and build your presence online to directly sell to the consumer. You save up on the margin that would have to be distributed across the supply chain and can utilize that to build your brand and generate traffic on your website. In the episode today, we have Navjot Kaur, a vice president at a venture capital firm that provides growth capital to early stage consumer brands. Given the role, Navjot ends up advising and evaluating a lot of D2C companies. She has looked at D2C companies across different phases of growth and has provided us with a playbook of what it takes to build a D2C brand. We'll look at how to lay down the fundamentals for a D2C business and talk about functions such as marketing, logistics, manufacturing, hiring to really understand the nuances in relation to building a D2C brand. If you run a D2C brand or have aspirations to build one, this is a must listen for you. Also, we have released a newsletter on D2C covering the opportunities and some predictions about this space. Link in the show notes. Do check it out. With that, let's jump on to the episode. Thank you so much for joining us today, Navjot. Uh, I'm very excited for the conversation that we are about to have on direct-to-consumer, uh, this business model of going direct-to-consumer and building brands. Let's jump straight in. Tell me tell me why has D2C sort of picked up in the last few years? Uh, why are we seeing a D2C rush, a D2C boom? Uh, what's happened in the industry to lead to this? Right. Hi. So first, thanks, uh, Sahil and uh... Siddharth for having me here. Uh, D2C, yes, is seeing a big boom. Uh, So let me tell you why. Let me paint a quick picture here. So earlier back in the day, 10, 20 years back when we were in school, uh, when our parents were younger, we had, uh, you know, a duopoly. We had very few brands in in a particular space, in a particular sector. When you, uh, you know, you thought of school shoes, you thought of Bata. Uh, ice cream, at least where I grew up, there was predominantly quality walls, uh, you know, cameras, there were Kodak cameras. Uh, so there were very few brands. And I think a lot of uh, the reason, the big reason why that happened was of because of mass media and uh, why uh, how uh, a huge uh, section of audience was bombarded with the same kind of product. So products were also made for a large mass audience and they were advertised to a large mass audience. I think with technology coming in, the ability to target people and customize for them specifically uh, created, uh, you know, uh, an ability for uh, brands to reach out to different different types of customers. And then they didn't have to really make uh, just one Bata shoe, but you could actually get different kinds of shoes. And now you can literally customize your shoes. Uh, by you know thanks to some d2c brands uh and that has basically happened because of uh you know the giants like facebook and google so facebook and google have actually enabled the whole event based campaigns and uh affinity based campaigns and you know where, where you can actually reach out to your customer basis uh whether they like low fat low fat milk or you know what kind of milk they like so that that's kind of amazing because uh now different niches get formed and uh different audience sets get formed and hence brands can actually go after those so it's no longer a mass blob of uh, industry sector but uh, within that segment there are multiple sub segments that can uh, that uh, have been created that brands can actually play into and from a customer point of view that's a huge win for a customer because they no longer have to buy uh, the same uh, shoes or the same camera or the same uh, 
you know furniture that uh, you know they that everyone was going to the same shop for they can actually customize their furniture they can customize their spectacles they can do a lot more and that's that's the power that the customer has these days you know over the past few years how people have been talking about how data is the new oil and you know data 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 and i think with the the, the big rise of d2c that we're seeing now uh, this is the the final maybe not the final form but this is a form that this entire data analytics and this big data is is taking is where i don't know nabjot if you have done this or i don't know siddharth if you have done this but you can actually go to google you can see your user profile your ad profile uh, which the advertisers see so i did that a few months ago um and i saw what uh, data that google had on me like okay this guy is this many years old he's married uh he has this he has this he likes this he likes this um and i was so freaked out by it that uh, since then i've become very privacy focused but uh, anyways the point is that um the point is that these advertisers are able to use these kind of profiles um uh, that google and facebook are making and i able to make these hyper targeted ads uh because of which you know these small niches um are able to make a dent which earlier like you were saying that all the ads had to be mass um and therefore the products had to be mass but now you know that shift is very interesting and it happened uh, i guess 4 uh, 5 years ago um and we're really starting to see the big boom of that happening in india now especially with the big adoption of internet across the country yeah i think geo geo's uh, internet penetration sort of definitely helped in these brands reaching audiences that they previously wouldn't have uh, i don't know if necessarily there are tier 2 tier 3 focused d2c brands but i'm sure if there aren't uh, they're soon going to come up with the fact that there's internet penetration and with covid uh, everybody understands how e-commerce works and are more uh, more likely to give e-commerce a shot than they were prior to covid right so from that perspective everything aligns to why there's a d2c boom right now um and for our audience uh, in terms of uh, the change in business model that's happened is now you're not relying on wholesalers and retailers and building out that you know that extremely costly distribution channels that the itcs and the fmcg companies have been built have built over the years and are leveraging to launch new products you're basically skipping all of that and you're saying that i'm going to make a point on the website or i'm going to make a destination on the internet where my audience can come in and check out what the product is and order and i'm going to directly ship it to them right so on paper at least uh, what that does is it takes away uh it brings you back the margin that you were potentially giving out to the wholesaler to to the retailer to build out the distribution channel right um so so from that perspective okay d2c makes sense uh, it's a niche play, it's it's a way to build brands for niche audiences um with facebook and google it's been it's become possible to target these niche audiences now tell me what what are the current trends that are you seeing what are the current trends you're seeing in the d2c market today uh what i've seen what we understood researching there is personal care beauty that's happened in the last 3 4 5 years uh, there are big giant brands that have just been built d2c and marketplaces and now are going offline are there particular categories that are coming up that you see that there's more action in when it comes to d2c yeah yeah absolutely so right now i think uh, you know the beauty of d2c is that uh you know so many different models are getting disrupted uh whether it's uh you know earlier we were seeing uh, the shift to online was basically a payment shift right where people were paying online now people are actually 
consuming and uh, buying online so they are watching they are resorting online for entertainment uh, for education uh, for doctor visits for that matter and uh, shopping of course so people are shopping online uh, you know across not just uh, fashion but uh, yes beauty uh, people are buying mattresses online people are buying furniture online people are buying specs online groceries uh you know kitchen where home where everything is online and from a customer perspective uh you know if you look at the broad categories of home and home care if you look at personal care beauty if you look at fashion if you look at um, you know food and beverages uh every single category has gone online and you know not just the bigger like the large category but sub category so within food you're not just buying food online other there's packaged food there's groceries there's uh you know restaurant food so even the sub categories are all completely going online these days so the trend is here to stay and i think covid has given a very interesting push where uh you know a lot of categories which were on the brink have actually gone online we are seeing you know in cases where there was let's say a 70 30 split of uh, online offline online where 70% of the businesses were offline are now actually 30% uh, offline and uh, you know this entire internet penetration covid push data uh, has completely given it a, a push for people to actually adopt that uh, so in terms of trends i think the trend there are trends across all segments and they are definitely here to stay interesting i think uh, now when you put it out that way um, you're right almost all categories of consumption have somehow or the other gone online from entertainment education where there's no physical product per se to to you know groceries and fmcg products these are all hardcore physical products everything has gone online and and there are various versions of reaching the consumers there's uh some brands have been built on top of amazon uh, marketplace some brands have been built on through social media presence through good content and community um and are leveraging that content and community to sell their products so um i'm with you on that i think uh, we're also convinced that d2c has become an interesting way to at least start a brand um i'm not and this is something that we'll get to at a later point i'm not sure if pure play d2c um is good enough to build scale in india i think you can start off as d2c build your brand and then also leverage other online marketplaces and then eventually go offline also once you have a certain economies of scale through online right uh, some brand recognition and all of that um and a lot of brands are doing that right so um d2c has become definitely become an interesting way to start a brand uh, to to experiment with an idea that you might have to see if there's an audience for it and if there are takers for it or not that brings me to a broader discussion topic that i wanted to uh, discuss with you and this is something you know given the role that you are doing at uh, fireside this is something that you probably have to live day in and day out is if we were to look at starting a d2c brand what different functions do we need to keep in what, what are the different functions that we need to look at and what's the high level playbook um obviously one podcast one discussion is not good enough to go into details of every different function but i thought it would be good to go through the functions uh, and look at what's different about d2c when it when you compare it to traditional uh, how traditional brands were built right so uh, i think the first and foremost thing is marketing uh, how do you reach your audience how do you find that niche that we were talking about can you throw some light on what's happening in the industry how are people doing how are people doing this 
Sure, sure. So I think just uh, uh, taking a step back and then jumping into marketing, I think there are a couple of building blocks. Uh, so, you know, uh, which are the obvious ones. So there's the technology, you need to uh, set up your website, you need to make sure that it's a functional one, which nowadays with Shopify, Shopify Plus is extremely, you know, the, the entire service providers have made it very simple for people to actually build that uh, basic technology and go online. Uh, the next is basically, you know, your entire setting up your logistics, delivery, and again, we have delivery and other aggregators in the space, which have made it super easy for these guys to uh, figure out their logistics and delivery. Uh, then uh, we have, uh, you know, the actual, uh, uh, the, you know, HR and the team, which is managing uh, the, you know, the entire strategizing, the entire structure of how the D2C should be done, the responsibilities and roles of who will be doing what. And of course, uh, the, uh, you know, finding the right audience. Uh, which is a big chunk and marketing is actually a very big important part here because it is uh, basis these Google Facebook capabilities that you can reach out to your audience. So uh, you need to kind of, uh, you know, understand really well who your audience is and before that you really need to understand what your brand is about. Uh, so yeah, so another another one is payments where, you know, you have to select the right payment partner, you have to make sure that, you know, these days uh, in India, India is still a big COD uh, cash on delivery economy. Uh, so you need to kind of figure uh, you, what your payment partners online would be, but also to remember how you want to kind of work your way through if your business has, say, 80% cash on delivery. Uh, so, I mean, and the good news is that we have uh, someone in each of these, you know, a player, a, a service provider in each of these areas for delivery. You have, you know, ship rockets, Vama ships uh, of the world who are aggregating for you. But if you want to go direct, there is delivery. For payments, you have Razor Pay, you have PayU, you have a bunch of uh, these providers you you need also you need your uh, crm and your customer support uh, so you have all the uh, you know marketing automation guys of web engage mo engage uh, which will actually help you uh, manage your customers uh, you have your push no i mean you know the communications piece you have push alert you have sendy you have all these service providers for your crm uh, even your chat support you have uh, yellow messenger you have zendesk uh, etc. So all these guys uh, come in, you know, together when you're actually building out your website, I would actually think of, uh, you know, this as the fundamental setup, uh, you know, playbook where your website, your delivery, your cash, uh, your payment provider, your CRM, uh, chat, marketing automation, all of them kind of come together. So these are actually the basics that you need to get going uh, to launch your uh, product and launch your business. And uh, then comes, I mean, uh, your another set would be, you know, who's going to be managing it. So what is your org structure going to be looking like at different stages? And uh, eventually, you know, who who is the, the main thing is who is the customer you're going after? And how do you kind of uh, get the first uh, 1000 or 10,000 customers and who will, you know, picking those guys uh, from the marketing uh, internet active user base that our country has? Thank you so much for laying out the building blocks. I think these are the absolute fundamentals, as you rightly pointed out. These are the absolute fundamentals when it comes to building a D2C brand, assuming that you've figured out the product. Now, if you go deeper into each of those functions, right? Let's start with building that audience and selling your first thousand, finding your first thousand customers or 10,000 customers. How have you seen uh, people do it? What are What are some sort of techniques that people are using to do that? So that's uh, an interesting one. The uh, you know to build a D two C brand and to get your first thousand or ten thousand customers, there has to be a 
core differentiation why someone would come to the D2C brand. So, uh, you know, uh, any uh, if if you're building a Me Too brand, which is readily available and there are five other competitors in the marketplace or in the offline channel, uh, then there is very little reason given to, uh, you know, someone to come uh, to a D2C channel. Uh, so the differentiation can be a product differentiation. It can be an audience differentiation. It can be an experiential differentiation. Uh, there has to be a reason, a specific reason why someone is coming to a D2C brand to actually directly consume, uh, directly purchase from the uh, brand itself. So in some cases, you know, the experience is completely different where people get loyalty points. They uh, love the checkout flow. They get to uh, learn a lot more about the product on the own website, they get to see uh, the different product features, which they wouldn't have been able to understand on a marketplace or offline or buying independently. Uh, maybe there's a lot of social proof there. Maybe there's a lot of, uh, you know, features there. Uh, so that's an experience sort of content uh, engagement that a D2C platform can build. And that's how they can actually, uh, you know, convince uh, an audience to come and buy from them. Uh, so I think uh, having your own platform, you have that power to uh, engage, speak, interact a lot more with a customer. Uh, and that can actually really help you understand what the customer wants and accordingly pitch your, you know, accordingly acquire your first thousand, first ten thousand uh, customers. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of audiences which are untapped or which don't know and uh, about a certain product. And especially if you're building a niche product, uh, it's a very powerful way to actually go to, you know, that exact audience set, get them on your website and actually, you uh, you know, provide for that uh, unmet demand or untapped need that they have. Uh, so I think uh, to get uh, the first thousand, uh, 10,000 customers, uh, I think a brand really needs to identify exactly who they are targeting. And through uh, content or through, uh, you know, the products that they have, differentiated products they, that they have to a, a specific audience that, uh, you know, hasn't had the chance to buy this, they can, uh, you know, that that's where uh, a brand should start with their first 1000. So um, if I can put this in context, right, so it's, it's hard to go out and sell another toothpaste, uh, you know, using D2C, but it might be viable to sell toothpaste to people who have braces, for example, right, that's a niche where if you can develop certain kind of uh, toothpaste that's good for people who have braces, that's a that's something that can be taken D2C because it's a differentiated need that you're focusing on and a niche customer segment that you're focusing on. So yeah, uh, exactly. If you look at another example of, uh, an example of say baby foods or baby products or baby clothes, parents are extremely anxious people, right? They want the right product for the newborn baby, especially if it's the first child. Uh, so, you know, I think a D2C product can really target them. And the power of that is uh, you get a platform to really convince, educate, influence a customer uh, who already has a need, by the way. And uh, it's not like babies were not being born five years, 10 years ago. But right now, uh, with the clutter of uh, products and uh, with the clutter of with the, you know, more consciousness of going more clean and making sure that the baby is not consuming anything uh, which is chemically produced or the fabric that they are using is correct. Uh, there's uh, there is already an audience sitting out there which wants to be more educated. Uh, so I think that's a yeah. great way of going D2C or finding a niche where uh, you're not just selling another baby cereal or a clothing, uh, you know, or toys, but actually a differentiated, maybe non-toxic or better for you or 
you know just catering to more uh, giving more comfort to the fears that people have so it it typically becomes more psychographic than demographic and uh, that's yeah. a very interesting space that we are seeing of actually targeting the psychology rather than you know just plain jane the uh, demography of a person so i have a question over here and i want to be the devil's advocate so we've been talking about differentiation and i feel like one of the things that i've been seeing in the entire d2c space is that okay we talk about the differentiation in terms of product audience experience whatever but what i've also seen is that there's a lot of differentiation that's going on in terms of the marketing dollars that are being spent right so you get the vc money and then you just outspend your competitor that also seems to be a form of differentiation is that something that you have seen um with your uh, companies or any companies that in the d2c space right i think this is a very common phenomena but it's very unsustainable because the idea is eventually to build a brand and if a company is selling products and selling discounted products uh that's not necessarily sustainable in the long run while that can get a lot of visibility and you can bombard the market with a lot of low uh, cost products uh and uh, that's very good for quick wins uh but the moment discounting goes away uh then i mean if you're building a brand which is a discounted brand then what happens in future and that's uh, a very important point because unit economics uh should and have to be sustainable in the long run otherwise it doesn't make sense because anyone can come and do that anyone can discount a brand uh in the short term but you know what happens to unit economics in the long term okay so what we've established so far just doing a recap of what we've discussed so far we've we've talked about you know why the d2c rush has happened um and i think everybody can see what's led to that we've also spoken about the differentiated product you need to have in the market for you to build that audience um and you need to focus on a niche let's say i've done all of that now i i have a product you know specific for a particular niche uh maybe let's just continue the thought on uh, toothpaste for braces for people who, who people who have braces right i don't even know if that's a need or not but uh, let's let's run it run with it for now um tell me what do i do from a marketing standpoint i have the website ready i have my social handles ready um do people then just spend on google facebook ad um or there's a lot of content push or these these go hand in hand how are people building from let's say the first 1000 customers to to a repeatable set of 10000 15000 customers okay so first uh, i mean once you have your 1000 customers and when you're growing from there and i think even for both even to get the 1000 and above customers i think it's very important uh to build the content piece and now with social media it's free for you almost free i mean yes of course there's a cost involved to create that content but it's almost free to kind of create content and put it out there and uh, you know start building your presence and uh, yes to make it more discoverable you have to pay for it but to just create that content and you know keep talking about who you are what you stand for is very important uh, because once uh, you start pushing uh, you know paying marketing dollars to get uh, to acquire customers they need to come and understand who you are so i think those building blocks are important where your content is already ready your brand thought is already ready you know what you're going to speak to your customer about and what they kind of come and understand about you so uh, i would just you know say that understanding and building a brand story uh, comes before and uh, very strongly comes before uh, going and acquiring customers so a lot of times uh, you know brands have very loose uh, brand identity uh which which makes the entire marketing dollar spends very weak because 
you know the customer comes back and doesn't really understand what it's about whether they fit into uh, this brand or not so actually building out a good strong brand identity and then and and then seeing who matches that brand identity and going after those kind of customers than vice versa a lot of brands t- tend to get that wrong and that is actually just bad roi on your marketing dollars uh, so uh, just by doing that i think uh, a marketing dollar efficiency spend efficiency increases and what one needs to do after that is uh yes spend money on social media to acquire new customers of course but also spend uh some money to retain the existing guys uh very important to do that because uh, a lot of brands also what they do is once a customer is acquired that that customer gets no attention in terms of marketing dollars uh which is actually uh you know that that actually creates a leaky funnel where uh, retention marketing is really not given enough thought and the old guys slip away which are your actually you know your base top 1000 10000 guys uh so i think a very strong uh, insight that i have uh, seen and you know learned from is spending enough money on retention marketing now uh, you can go after you can spend money uh, on social media and retain them and you can also use your crm and your free tools which are available to you to actually keep these guys engaged keep them coming back uh so that retention marketing bit is definitely uh, something very important otherwise month on month the brand is just spending the same amount of money or more money acquiring a new set of customers from what i'm hearing it's i think a lot of it initially after you get your brand story down is a lot of experimentation to really see if the brand story is sticking with the particular niche that you were going after if there are other niches that are resonating with it if not can you go back and make some changes in the messaging that you have in the branding that you have in the content that you have right uh, without that you're absolutely right without that uh, google and facebook can get you initial set of customers but if they're not going to come back and buy again this is never going to be a profitable uh, venture because you're it's a leaky funnel and you're always paying the likes of google and facebook to to get you transactions um i think that's a i i i agree with you that is an underrated sort of topic about retention marketing and i think there's going to be a lot more interesting things that will happen in the next few years around retention marketing so i mean the way i i'm seeing d2c is that it's a it's a community play in the end uh what you have to build is you have to use your content you have to build community around that niche we're coming back to differentiated product differentiated audience differentiated niche um and once you build that community around that niche um that's when you are going to stop that leaky funnel and also um when it comes down to a community building project you need to have a strong mission statement at the start um you need to be able to say that hey i am i am making this toothpaste because i want all people with braces to have a better life or i want people with braces to have uh, be able to clean their teeth better i don't even know what problem people with braces have but uh, if you have that strong mission then you can really rally the rally the troops around that mission you can have a strong community and that strong community uh, the strong content and all of that stuff will get a lot of uh, repeat customers and and just to add on to the point of content right i think uh... what i've seen is the content is not always to make a sale happen it's not always to push a particular product but the content is is identifying your community or your target customer and seeing what other problems that they have uh, that could be an extension of the product that you're solving and letting sort letting the content sort of help them with the with the problems that they're facing so that way the brand affinity that's built um, 
you know from a customer perspective is much higher because you're solving something for them and not really you know just shoving down products down their throat um is that uh, is that what you've seen also right absolutely i think uh, content is an enabler to uh, speak to the customer either to tell them something and also to get uh, communication back from them and thankfully with social media you can do both it's a two way communication it's a direct communication with your customer you can literally uh, understand your launch and relaunch strategies uh, basis this so i've seen a bunch of uh, uh you know uh, uh companies uh right now who are doing this and who've been doing this where they've literally used their content and community and, and hence the communication to understand what the customer wants so uh, a couple of companies are actually launching products uh, and in the past 6 months they've launched two new products basis what the audience actually told them their uh, their first 10000 customers they told them and they went out and built those uh products while uh, there's another company which is actually uh, you know lit- uh, they went to market with uh, a product and uh, they got initial free- feedback and they were able to relaunch that product very quickly basis what the customer didn't like now these things were something you know things which could never happen 20 years ago with uh, you know the large fmcgs were never able to actually talk to the customers ground up so that's definitely happening with content and community and i think uh, you know what sahil said about content actually is solving a problem or detecting a problem and helping you solve it so for a brand i think content and hence uh, community building becomes extremely uh, strong and uh, you know i would again tie this back to brand uh, because at the end of the day you are solving these problems you are getting the stickiness and what's happening in the end is that you're getting brand credibility uh so uh, that brand thought right now when we look at marketing yes it's great to spend money and do a lot of performance marketing and acquire customers but what what are we doing to actually uh, engage those customers listen to those customers retain those customers and hence create a brand and not just an acquisition machine uh so back in the day when you know people when when i say brand and the emphasis on brand and emphasis on brand identity before going to market emphasis on brand creation while going to marketing market is is basically back in the day people would really uh, focus on that and uh, for example you know if i say washing powder what what is the third word that comes to your mind uh you know i mean and my guess would be it would be nirma right and if i said it in a in a sing song way maybe you would get that uh how many brands today can actually do that and how are they i mean that's one way of creating a brand right and uh, how can you actually get to a point where people think of you when they think of a category so uh yeah i i would say content community uh everything would actually tie back to solving a customer's problem and eventually creating a brand so you're not constantly paying to acquire people who in india is doing this well for, uh, in the d2c space in india i think uh, sugar is doing a great job with uh, content and community so they actually put out a lot of content which speaks about how to do this and how to do that and not it's not a product push but it's actually uh, educating customers and uh, even though the beauty personal care market is huge in india the reality is that a lot of women who are starting to use makeup or who use makeup they still don't know and there's always like you know this this content is always around to reeducate people uh, on what to do so i think sugar is doing that really well creating great content without a product push another one comes to mind is boat boat is uh, you know boat actually got built on the entire community of boat heads 
so you know the whole uh, culture and the whole cultish uh, community uh, if i may uh, you know that's that's how boat actually got built as a brand and created a differentiation between itself and all other guys who were also you know selling the same thing so um, now that you're talking you spoke about the importance of content and uh, since we are on a content uh, based platform right now podcast i just want to point out to everybody that content is very important <laughs> it's not easy to make content and if somebody wants to sponsor us and have their plug over here that the indian dream podcast is sponsored by blank so uh, yeah please uh, sponsor us uh, we are a fantastic co- uh, content piece and uh, we'd be happy to have you great we've plugged in the request for sponsorship that's yeah. great um okay so so that part that part brings me to to looking at marketing from a different sort of uh, sub parts right so we've discussed the content uh, marketing piece and and community building and we've briefly touched upon performance marketing i don't think we need to go too deep into it because there's enough and more content around performance marketing that's out there um one thing that i want to touch on that's getting really hot uh, lately is influencer marketing and i i've seen a lot of d2c brands lately specifically you know using instagram influencers youtube influencers twitter influencers podcast influencers, podcast influencers uh, are are being leveraged to take out take the message to uh, to to newer set of audiences and the way they're doing it is also very uh, less like it was done in in age old where you know there was a there was content that was going on and there used to be a break uh, think about any tv show or any sports or anything there used to be a break there used to be a celebrity who comes in and and sort of tells talks about a particular product right those were traditional ads uh, and at the end of the day what they were trying to do is using the celebrity power to influence their potential consumers to buy their products so it's nothing new per se but what's happening is newer set of influencers have popped up uh, micro celebrities have popped up who are talking about using the product they're plugging the product in innovative ways stand up comedians are plugging the product in innovative ways um what's happening what's your point of view on that on influencer marketing in general influencer marketing is very powerful these days especially with more and more people using uh, you know social media uh and actually learning from social media what they need to do and hence uh, you know right there from that channel if they hear it from the horse's mouth that you this is what you need to uh buy that actually solves their problem that credibility and trust is there influencer marketing channel also is uh, you know now can be segmented into different parts uh, so there are the large influencers which have say a million plus uh, followers and then there are on the other side the micro and nano influencers which may have say 20000 10000 uh, followers and uh, you know up to say 50000 followers and um, on youtube on instagram and the uh, stickiness or the engagement rate of these uh, you know nano micro versus macro is very different very interesting so i think from brands also depending on what stage they are at uh, they could definitely leverage maybe not you know a small brand may not be able to leverage a large uh, influencer but there's always there, there is definitely a market for these micro and uh, uh nano influencers which have equal if not more engagement rates with their audience uh so in fact a lot of times we see that uh, you know you'll notice that influencers when they put up a post or a video on youtube instagram organically the reach is different from when it is a branded post 
so you know sometimes you you you'll notice that the reach or the engagement is slightly lower when it's a branded post of course because organic posts uh, get uh, a higher reach higher engagement uh, but you know in case of nano and micro influencers a lot of times these guys have uh, even more engagement rates uh, which is good news for small startups because it's not that it's you know these big influencers are out of reach so large and small startups both can leverage the influencer market i think there's definitely a market there ready to be influenced and uh, these are definitely strong channels people tend to believe uh, these regular ordinary people more there is uh, you know a friendly face uh, there's kusha uh, kapiva who's doing really well these days there are a couple of others which have come and gone so definitely yeah uh, interesting space to explore you're right on the micro influencers part what's also happening is for smaller startups um the the nano influencers are also okay working in a barter system where you just send them the products and they they talk about the products in on their um, different social channels right so the influencer marketing is also a channel of marketing that is being leveraged by smaller and bigger brands to to increase the size of the audience that they can cater to so marketing itself from it what it looks like has been subdivided and and so many more things that you can now do within the marketing piece where i'm going to sort of skip a certain few functions and go back to the organization structure that you were speaking about uh, from a hiring perspective and and team building perspective uh, do you think the smaller d2c brands have enough sort of uh, cash in the bank to build a proper marketing team from 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 what it looks like this is a lot of work and a lot of thought need to go into how do you do retention marketing how do you do content marketing how do you do influencer marketing what kind of org structures have you seen in the market uh so the org structures are dynamic depending on the stage of the company so the company typically starts with uh, uh you know some a very small team in house uh maybe a couple of guys who are working on uh, marketing sometimes even the founder doing it uh where uh, you basically need uh to reach out and build your top of funnel right so you need to go out to the market and tell people you exist and why they should buy this product so come to your website and convert and buy uh so for performance marketing or campaign marketing or uh, you know your digital marketing there's typically one guy who's doing all of it uh, a couple of people who are doing all of it maybe aided by someone who's making the creatives uh and then uh you know as the startups scale a little bit maybe get get some funding uh typically this gets outsourced uh they still don't have enough uh, scale or uh, you know resources to actually get a whole uh, a full blown in house team for marketing so what happens is that that's when these digital marketing agencies come in and they are very critical in the role of the company because the company is spending a significant amount of its uh, you know revenue in marketing in acquiring these customers uh so then the selection of the right agency comes in uh where you know depending on what you want to focus on and what you want to spend on and what the need is whether it's performance marketing with a mix of seo with a mix of uh influencer etc uh they come in you know what channels youtube uh google facebook instagram and different uh the thought needs to go into where exactly they want to go with what strategy uh these agencies typically help you with that and then i think when the startup becomes a lot bigger uh it just makes sense to have all these capabilities back in house where a dedicated team is looking into all these areas thinking brand thinking company products new launches and you know day in and day out creating all of these marketing campaigns for the company 
and then in the last part basically you would in-house teams would you know typically have a uh, someone for performance, someone for retention, maybe a D2C growth head where everybody reports to that person, even someone from a product perspective with product and UI, UX experience, making sure that that person is aiding and enabling the retention and acquisition uh, funnels. Uh, so that's what uh, the eventual team would look like with maybe social media experts and a creative team. So eventually this entire piece comes back in-house. So if you can put all of this together from a marketing perspective, uh, you know, and I come from a B2B background where everything is part of the funnel, where there are leads and there are warm leads and there's demos that have happened and there's something that's happened and there's conversion. I'm assuming there's it's the same way that you look at from a B2C perspective. So uh, can you help us put all of this on a funnel uh, to really understand how does the entire thing work from getting somebody interested to selling them something. Right. So I think here, you know, I like to use an acronym called AIDA, which is a commonly used one, which is A is for awareness, uh, then you, which is the top of the funnel. Uh, where you actually get people to uh, aware about this category slash product slash brand. Uh, I, uh, AIDA, I stands for interest, where... Uh, you know, affinity based, uh, if someone's interest already interested in this kind of product, uh, you know, has bought a competitor product, knows about your product. So affinity and interest based targeting happens at the middle level funnel, which is interest. D is desire, which is the bottom funnel, which where, uh, you know, in marketing audiences uh, are targeted, where people already know, have already purchased, are already ready to buy another product are targeted and then the conversion happens then there's action uh, which is the last a which they, they've landed on your page and they've actually converted so this is typically the funnel of top top of the funnel middle of funnel and bottom of the funnel uh, which leads to conversion and then it doesn't end there and then the last piece is remarketing retargeting right the same customer base yeah okay that, i think that's a that's a handy way of uh, categorizing different things right uh, for example performance marketing is to build your top of the funnel to get a lot of people aware about your brand and um, and potentially even get them to the page influencer is again the same thing it's creating more awareness versus retention um, retention content community is basically taking them from desire to action um, and, and that's a handy way of put, putting at it and brands, the people who are looking to enter this industry need to be aware of how do you really optimize across the different, across the funnel, maybe initially more top of the funnel. Um, and in terms of spends, have you seen, what kind of spends have you seen, you know, people doing in retention marketing? I know you said that, you know, not a lot of startups focus on that. It's underrated. Uh, what, what is, what do you think is a good rule of thumb in terms of what should you spend on retention marketing when you're starting out? So that also uh, differs from stage to stage. And yes, I think you uh, you got it absolutely right that most uh, a lot of startups actually don't focus on retention marketing. That means they will spend 100 rupees a month, but the entire 100 rupees will go towards uh, finding a new customer and that nothing will be done in that 100 rupees to actually uh, go back and talk to the guy who's already bought the product. Uh, so uh, typically, uh, the this, is, this happens because people feel like organically, the old customers will come back. Uh, why that doesn't work is because there are still a lot of competitors who are, you know, if you are not targeting your own customer, your competitor is. Uh, what uh, people end up doing right now, a lot of companies that I've seen uh, are actually spending uh, zero to 10% in retention marketing, which is extremely low. 
so to begin with you know when a, when the customer base is extremely small of course you need to acquire those first set of customers but once those first set of customers have been acquired uh, you know i would say a, a healthy uh, you know 25 to 50 even 50% budget for retention marketing would be healthy to have uh, and when the company scales again then you can bring that back and you can play around with within that framework and within that uh, range of 25 to 50 but uh, you know 50 is not a bad number as as well i think that would surprise a lot of companies that you know why should i spend 50% of my money uh, to target again the same customer who's already bought the reason is because your uh, stickability will increase your ltv will increase and you know these are the guys who are going to create a brand for you so you want to and they will uh, make it cheaper i mean you will not need to nudge a guy who's already bought from you three times uh maybe you need to nudge that person one time so the cost of acquisition as well and this is like proven this is with data etc where your conversion rate for new customers would maybe be 2% or 1% or you know your click through rates will be lower but what with uh, you know retention marketing the returns and conversions are always double so you can it's it's very normal to see a 4% 5% conversion or click through uh, on remarketing campaigns So okay. I think that also, uh, you know, if you build up stickability, what it also does is, if they really like the product, the chances of word of mouth happening also increases. Versus somebody who's just used the product once might not go out and speak about it. Um, compared to somebody who's used it two, three, four times, will go out and speak to their friends and family about, "Hey, I'm using this product," and this is just pure free customer at that point in time. So, just for our listeners, what do you mean by? Um... I mean, I forgot the word retention. Uh, yeah, sorry. So, for our listeners, what do you mean by retention marketing? Can you give us a few examples of that? Sure. So, uh, basically, there are two kinds of uh, broadly two kinds of campaigns you can run, right? Uh, which is to acquire a new customer who's never bought. So, suppose I start a chocolate brand, and you know, Siddharth is already a friend and a customer who's tried it. and uh, you are not so uh, you know i'll spend my 100 bucks trying to acquire you and your friends and family and i i won't do i won't spend anything for siddharth what i'm saying is that you should spend money uh, on your existing customer and you should target through facebook and google ads etc the same guy who's already bought your product you should not assume that that person who's already once bought your product you spent money you acquired them 3 months ago they bought your product and they went away you should not assume that they don't need to be targeted they again need to be targeted they need to you know they need to see that ad again uh so that's what i mean by retention marketing yeah um i think this is also where sms marketing comes into picture and i hate to see it um, you know i've tried a bunch of d2c brands and some of them that i don't end up liking i obviously won't go out and order again but the frequency of their sms is um is at least at least good retention marketing uh, from their perspective to get me back to remind me that this brand exists uh fair okay um i think that that covers from a very high level of what goes into building the marketing function of uh when you're launching a d2c brand let's move on to the other stuff uh logistics and maybe manufacturing we'll combine these two right what i've seen primarily is from a manufacturing perspective people most of the d2c brands are relying on contract manufacturing and that goes to the fact that hey one manufacturing is not their expertise and second the kind of capital expenditure expenditure that's required to set up a manufacturing facility is very high hence they 
outsource the manufacturing aspect of it, the packaging aspect of it, and they they provide the branding that goes on the packaging and stuff like that, right? Um, is that the norm? Uh, would you say that's the norm, or have you seen people getting into the manufacturing and also doing D two C? I think it's a mixed bag, but I see more, uh, you know, of the contract manufacturing part, where uh, a lot of brands actually don't do their manufacturing, uh, but there are a lot of product focused brands which will actually. Uh, you know, really uh, uh, product obsessed um, founders who've actually, you know, hit the R&D buttons right and everything and they, they in-house manufacture it. So it's a mixed bag. Uh, but um, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I, think that's I, I guess I guess the capital requirement then changes and you need to go out and raise accordingly um, to, to do the manufacturing, I would assume. Uh, yes and no. Uh, I mean, there is a slight differentiation. See, you're, when you're uh, paying to the contract manufacturer also, you're paying for the COGS, you're paying for their services. It's just that they know how to do that better. So they manage it better. You know? And, uh, you know, for example, like, uh, I think, I think Kama or Forest, one of them, I mean, one of them does contract manufacturing versus one, the other does, uh, the, uh, in-house manufacturing. So let me put it this way. I think uh, the right way to put it would be if the founder or the founding team has uh, product manufacturing and R&D expertise, they should go ahead and uh, have it in-house. If they don't, then they definitely uh, can't have it in-house because that's the co-founding team's capability anyway. And if it's there available in the market, then it should be contract manufactured. Fair. Okay. Uh, I think that's a, that's a good thumb rule to have uh, in terms of deciding how to go about it. Now logistics, right? This is also fairly complicated. Different types of products have different kinds of needs. But more or less, I've seen that if the product is not perishable, the supply chain aspect of it has been sorted out in India for in the last five to seven years. With as you as you pointed out initially, aggregators like ShipRocket uh, that can sort of help your e-commerce brand manage your logistics, manage their logistics completely on one platform. Or uh, players like Delivery and, you know, Ecom Express and ExpressBees were just focusing on the e-commerce segment. Uh, what are some of the nuances that people need to think of when they're building their logistics? Sure. So I think, again, this is in uh, stages and I'd like to answer this uh, depending on what stage of the company uh, the, com- the brand is in. Uh, so if it's a small brand just starting out, typically what happens is they start with uh, their own logistics uh, Uh, to some extent where the warehouse is their own they manage their warehouse on their own while they outsource delivery Uh, so delivery is typically always outsourced anyway and uh, they start their own warehouse they they track the returns refunds rtos which is very important uh, rto in today's uh, d2c business Uh, and what is important here is they get a very good uh, hands-on knowledge of what is working and what is not so while when you have your own warehouse and you've outsourced the, the delivery, you're working very closely with the delivery partners and your customers to understand, okay, how the returns are working, you know, what products are getting returned, how often, um, what is the refund, uh, you know, uh, process, how, how's that panning out, how many RTOs are happening, RTOs are when the uh, delivery company is trying to deliver to the customer, to your customer, but is unable to. So, you know, they'll make three attempts and after the third attempt, the product will come back to you. So it's not like the customer received it and did not like it and return it. That's a return when the customer returns it. But the, when the customer was never able to get the product, uh, it's a RTO. This happens in, you know, pin codes where uh, which are not reachable. And this is a big problem. 
uh, a lot of companies see a big percentage of this so you need to have your own warehouse and work very closely with the delivery partners to really understand your refunds rtos returns uh, how they are working and once you get a good handle on this and after this once you scale uh, you will be able to outsource to a third party warehouse so till then it's a good idea to keep it in house and fix these you know problems these gaps and figure out your working capital needs uh, because of these rtos refunds and uh, returns and once you have all of that basic blueprint in place and you've started scaling you can outsource uh, and once you outsource you know there are delivery uh, there are warehouses which are available third party warehouses uh, which will stock your supply and uh, which will be integrated to delivery services here what you can do is you can actually work with multiple delivery partners earlier in your own warehouse when you're starting out you were working with one delivery partner because it's basically a pain when you're very very small to integrate with multiple delivery partners uh, so when you're working with a th- third party warehouse you can integrate with you know multiple delivery partners in some some of them you know reach xyz pin codes while the others have a different kind of reach and they have all different uh, features which you can leverage together plus third party warehousing is also basis variable costing so you pay as you use and which is kind of still helpful for the company when the company is still growing and really kind of understanding what the demand is because suddenly you have a surge in demand but you don't know how much to account for warehouse so this variable pricing will help you at that growth stage and then once you've kind of understood your demand and demand levels etc uh, then it's always good to again come back uh, at a high volume it's it's good to come back to your own warehouse build your own warehouse where you have your costs fixed and you don't have to pay variably uh, and you can collaborate again with different delivery partners to uh, you know get the last mile done etc where again the delivery shadow faxes of the world come in makes sense i really like how you divided it and how you've been dividing uh, for every function on the different stages i think uh, for our listeners it will give them a good perspective on how things need to scale as the organization scale um and also points to the fact that this is uh, regardless of what you do but specifically d2c is an evolving game so your strategies and your uh, functions will keep evolving with a period of time um, as your company grows okay uh in terms of leadership team what are the absolute you know must have in terms of expertise when you're starting out a d2c brand versus what are some things that you can eventually hire for as you scale i think that's a big differentiation for people to understand if if they are suited to go out and build a d2c brand right so i think again uh, in different stages when we start it's basically the founder who's kind of got a very good understanding or is trying to get a very good understanding of who the market is who are these guys who are coming in to my website and buying which is where data again is extremely important to really understand the behavior uh, so uh, you know whether it's the founder or whether it's someone else in the team uh, someone needs to keep a very very close uh, eye on what the custom, who the audience is and what are they buying which product is working not working what are the what are the areas that in india uh, you know with d2c everything is becomes pan india you're cutting across states and uh, pin code so where is it actually where where does my customer actually live and uh, does it actually reach my customer in time all the products that i'm putting so to begin with someone needs to really understand this process well so there has to be someone who's doing supply chain right there has to be someone who's understanding customers right and there has to be someone who's actually you know keeping all the data handy to make those decisions and quick decisions uh, 
you know, talking to the it's from the supply chain. I mean, you know, getting uh, the products from the manufacturer or manufacturing it, making sure it's stocked. Uh, if the if there's Diwali season and there's a increase in uh, demand, then you know there's enough uh, inventory for that. Uh, if there is lean, if if COVID has hit the market and you know there's no one buying the product, then there's in, enough space in the warehouse to keep stock inventory. Or if you're in a third-party warehouse, then you're not paying you know extra for your inventory. So someone has to do the entire inventory supply chain planning. That's extremely important because that's that person is responsible for actually getting the product delivered and full the entire fulfillment piece lies with this person. Uh, then and on the uh, customer facing side, that's the back end side. And on a customer facing side, someone needs to kind of really understand who's buying what, coming at what rate, how much you know CAC am I uh, spending? Like, what is the cost of acquisition to get this customer versus that customer? So, uh, is this customer cheaper? Is that customer cheaper? Who needed what? Who's spending how much? How much are they? What is the frequency at which they are buying? So, both sides need to be married very well. And that's how uh, those are the two main people and those the two main uh, pillars. And it could be two people to begin with who are doing that. And as the company scales, they'll definitely need more and more people under these two pillars uh, to start building out this, uh, you know, synchronicity. And uh, yeah, so I think when in stage two, when the company scales and it's a growth phase, then typically in both sections, more people are hired. Supply chain gets divided further. And, uh, you know, the whole customer D2C facing uh, team gets divided further again in uh, the whole marketing piece of, uh, you know, acquiring, re retaining uh, product uh, expertise uh, and experts kick in where people are actually looking at your website and constantly improving it. Maybe there'll be a landing page customization where someone who buys very frequently and buys the same product will see a different landing page versus uh, someone else. The checkout flows could be different uh, for certain people. So all those optimizations on the front end and even on the back end, uh, depending on that, are very important. So I think those how, that's how you should structure your uh, org as you grow. Okay. Um, tell me, this is this is just a question that popped up in my head right now. Uh, from, from what you've seen in the market, what's been the hardest role uh, to fulfill in these D2C organizations? And the reason why I'm asking this is it'll give... Um, our listeners some perspective on if they want to enter this industry and if they have a relevant skill set uh, that might fit this in-demand in role, um, it might be go good to go out and get experience in one of the D2C companies. So what's been that role that's been really hard to fill in the, in the D2C ecosystem? So I think in the D2C, a lot lies with, uh, you know, getting the right customers and getting them at the right price. So I would, I would go back to, you know, maybe the performance marketer. Uh, but uh, it's not, I wouldn't say it's, I, I would say it's an important role to fill. I wouldn't say it's a hard role because these days, you know, there is a lot of talent. Uh, I think uh, uh, it's, it's important, but why it becomes hard is, uh, you know, uh, the entire fitting this, this role fitting into what the company wants. So it's not really a role where, okay, you can create uh, 10 performance marketing executives or 10 D2C uh, heads, growth hackers, and you can copy paste them in different D2C companies. They they become very, the roles become very custom to the company. And I think uh, the uh, hard part or the uh, the important part is how, uh, how this particular person in this particular role will, uh, in a unique way, solve the problem of this particular company. So, you know, it's not uh, a, 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 a very strict, uh, how do I put it? Uh, it's not a very 
by the book written in uh, you know by the book cv you have to customize this role as per the company okay i i guess that's what makes it hard right um, i by the virtue of that in fact um, i would assume that there are only few people who who have the exact relevant experience that you are trying to market uh, and you probably have to get them from your competitors but for everyone else you need a culture and value within the organization that makes it very easy for them to understand what exactly are you doing and hence uh, sort of uh, adapt to adapt their skill set their core skill set of performance marketing to something that can work for the organization another role that i've been thinking of uh, and more and more companies are are now hiring for is community builders or community managers right uh, this isn't a role that was extremely popular a few years back do you think that's been uh, that's in demand right now and since that not a lot of people have done this in their previous jobs it's harder to hire for yeah so i think community managers are um, they you know the two pillars we spoke about the back end front end the supply chain and the customer facing so they come in community managers and uh, they come in with the company scaling and they need more and more they need to do more to understand their customers and not just understand it but now actually uh, start talking to the customers maybe build a community where even the customers are talking to each other and um, that is uh, yes it is a new role uh, relatively and uh, that's becoming pretty important because that's that's what creates your brand that's what's uh, going to bring out all the um, you know core juice from a customer the feedback uh, communication and yeah when it comes to hiring them uh, and you know this is a joke within recruiters and companies as well is uh, it is a little broad uh, because it's not a very defined role every company defines it slightly differently but yeah the objective is largely the same and uh, everyone executes it differently because uh, community can be built through different things right like uh, you can create a blog you can there can be different formats of uh, you know blog video etc there can be a completely uh, new way of thinking about it uh, so community managers that way the demand is there but uh, i think the roles are still being sketched out and yeah you can join our community our whatsapp group so the link will be in the show notes <laughs> yeah i think this is sail's role in today's episode just making sure every opportunity that we get to plug something we're going to plug it um, okay uh, i think what we've covered so far helps us understand how do you really build out your marketing function what are some of the things that you need to think about when it comes to manufacturing what are some of the things that you need to think about uh when it comes to logistics and warehousing and hiring the right kind of people and and what you've done really well is talk about it in different stages so people understand how things evolve one of the things that i uh, that i think is central to building a d2c brand is how do you finance it um I, as you know most of the founders that we talk to in our in our um, segment called founder journeys we focus on bootstrapped entrepreneurs um profitable businesses smaller businesses but bootstrapped businesses uh from what we've seen the the ones the d2c brands that have scaled have obviously taken venture capital money um so here's my question is venture capital money essential to building a d2c brand in india or yeah it, that's the question is it essential to build a d2c brand in india no i would say absolutely not uh venture capital funding is not necessary to build a d2c brand the good news is that it's so easy to build a d2c brand these days uh you know i could start literally making soap in my house right now and make a, a wordpress uh, or shopify website and i could start selling it right uh, to my community and then grow that community organically if i wanted uh and i don't need d2c funding for that 
uh, I just need to understand my customers and my product and uh, the technology and the data is already there to enable me and empower me to do that, uh, which is why a lot of D2C brands are coming up. Uh, I think what is where venture capital funding comes in is when they want to scale, when when a D2C brand wants to grow, go to a much, much larger audience. And uh, if they are playing in a space which has a lot of competitors and, and yet they want to, or some competitors and they want to grow in that space, it will be hard for them to not uh, do it with, uh, you know, by being bootstrapped. Uh, it's not impossible. Uh, but it's just that uh, the other players in the market will most likely have the venture capital funding to go out and scale and uh, reach out to a larger audience. So the limitation may come there. However, if it's a profitable D2C and if it's bootstrapped, you know, nothing prevents it from doing that as well. Uh, but the large difference becomes in scale. Uh, so long uh, to answer your question. Uh, it is, uh, you can create a D2C brand, but if you want to scale, then venture capital funding might come in. And also, if, if your direct competitors have raised venture capital money, it's hard to uh, fight against that with while being bootstrapped, right? It's just the marketing dollars and the, the eyeballs that they will capture are significantly more than you. So either you have a very, very strong community um, or a completely sort of IP-driven product where nobody else can copy it. Um, I guess in those scenarios, it might work. But if your competitor has venture capital money, you have no option but to go out and raise also so that you are you can compete at the same level. Right. Okay. If, uh, the other thing that I want to add from a financing perspective, and this is going back to my experience in the SME, um, in the financing world, in the lending world, is there are a lot of interesting debt products that are coming up now in terms of bill discounting, in terms of uh, purchase financing, which enable you to raise debt to buy raw materials to to discount the bills that you've already sold to larger marketplaces or corporates if, if that's one of your distribution channel um, you get the money on the first week itself rather than waiting the 90 day credit period that a lot of these organizations have right so it, it helps the cash flow um, and i think a lot of d2c brands have also started looking at that specifically ones that sell to larger uh, corporates yeah, I think uh, there are a couple of other avenues for funding. So equity funding being one. Uh, the second also is debt funding, like you correctly said. And uh, another one, which is very interesting, which has come in the market, which is your marketing uh, funding. So like we just discussed so much on, you know, how marketing takes up a lot of uh, cash from the business. There are uh, players like Club and GetVantage who are uh, actually funding uh, the growth uh, marketing budgets of brands. So by that, I mean that they will actually fund your performance marketing spends. And uh, what the model typically is that uh, how those companies recover the money is through, uh, through the sales of the brand products. Uh, so typically, the more, the faster you sell, uh, the faster they recover their money back. And it is interesting for such uh, brands because, you know, they, they do need a lot of, a fair amount of their budgets go in marketing. And these guys specifically come in and solve for those marketing uh, budget needs. Okay, so they, uh, I would assume they also then participate in the upside. So if, if the marketing campaigns do do really well, uh, they take a certain percentage of the sales that you do, I'm assuming, right? They always take a percentage of their sales. For them, the upside is if the marketing campaign does well, they recover their money faster. So net-net, their interest rate, their fixed interest rate, they are recovering that quicker. Uh, so net-net, that interest rate increases. So if you go to recover it in a year, you actually recover it in six months. So your interest rate 
is a lot better than what it would be in one year. Oh, fantastic! The, that's something interesting, and uh, for our audience, we'll we'll definitely include this in the newsletter for people to dig deeper on. I'm going to close it out now, Malika. Thank you so much for joining us. One last question before you go: Would you recommend any sort of content pieces uh, that you've consumed to understand more about D two C? These could be books, podcasts, YouTube videos, anything. Um, so, if you can point to some sources that our listeners could go to. um so d2c specific uh, not yet i don't have something so uh, d2c specific but i think overall uh, you know zero to one by peter thiel makes a lot of sense in a lot of d2c unit economics and a lot of uh, thought that goes into creating a d2c uh, playbook and a, a strategy i think uh, that book covers a lot of key elements okay yeah zero to one is a fantastic book um, every entrepreneur for that matter regardless of d2c should d2c should read about it specifically if you're trying to create something new in the market uh, zero to one is a fantastic book thank you so much for joining us navjo thank you so much for taking time out and being so candid about you know the different functions and what it takes to build a solid foundation for a d2c brand this was specifically uh, interesting because you come from an investor point of view versus most of the people that we've spoken to are operators so it's good to get your perspective on on what it takes to build something like this thank you so much for taking time out thank you so much siddharth and sahil for this uh, it was great being here and uh, i hope you guys get your uh, you know branded content and uh, free beers not free but content exchange beers soon <laughs> we got some beers already actually yeah we actually uh, we actually spoke to someone uh, we're doing one um, similar to d2c we're doing one on craft alcohol and uh, yeah somebody sent us beers somebody sent sahil beers because he was in bombay i guess oh wow nice thank you so much for listening in if you're listening to us on apple podcasts i would request you to please rate us on the app that'll help us reach more people and also give us much needed feedback Thank you so much see you next week